This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Yes, it's Wednesday. This episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers Craft Beef, better than organic chicken, all American-made shipped right to your front door. Go to goodranchers.com slash Allie. Okay, they're so much. As always that I want to talk about today, I am going to try to comment on a few stories, but every time I set out to do this, I always get stuck on the story that I'm most passionate about. I try to be as thorough as possible because I love to give you guys context and as much understanding of an issue as I can so we can really grasp it rather than just give you my hot takes or opinions on something. There's a time and a place for that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I truly want to give you Uh, as much understanding as I can of a story to give you kind of a starting point to then go and research for yourself. Because I think giving you the best tools possible then to, you know, take those tools into the conversations that you have, into your community to really make change, I think that's most effective. But that limits me. I'm not always able to talk about all of the stories in one week or one day that I want to. That's why we typically dedicate a whole episode to one or two topics or at least one theme. Uh, But yesterday I asked you guys on Instagram, the stories that you guys want me to talk about. So I'm going to do my best to talk about more than one of them. I'm going to try to get to two or three today. Tomorrow, we will be talking about Russia, Ukraine. That was a big one that you guys asked me to break down. We've kind of been avoiding talking about it, not because we don't want to or not because we don't think it's important. But as we talked about on Monday, I do think as it pertains to the United States, which, you know, that's the country that we live in, that we're citizens of. So we should care most about. I think what's going on here and what's going on in Canada is more important because it affects your life more. Doesn't mean Ukrainian lives don't matter. Doesn't mean that what's going on there is something that we shouldn't pay attention to, but what's going on in our own uh, in the West is more relevant and more important to us. Go listen to that episode if you want to hear more about my take on that. But it's still important for us to know what's going on there. There are uh, global implications and there are some consequences that unfortunately we are going to have to endure because of the conflict that is happening there. So we'll talk with an expert tomorrow on all of that. On Friday, we have another bonus episode, and this one doesn't have to do anything with politics. So if you are looking kind of for a break, but still a good substantive conversation, we will be talking to Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs fame about the importance of learning skills that are in demand and presenting other paths of success for our children other than college. Not that there's anything wrong with college, but we're going to talk about um, kind of the pros and cons of, you know, the college only success route. And you're really going to love it. It's an edifying and interesting conversation. I mean, you guys know he's a very interesting guy. So he had a lot of wisdom to share with us. You'll love that. That'll come out on Friday. Uh, But for today, let's talk about those few things or maybe two things or maybe one thing. It'll just depend um, that I want to talk about today. So 
I want to follow up on the CDC milestone story to share some new information with you, add a little more insight there. The reason why I'm following up on this is because of the reaction that I got from you guys. Uh, You thought that the commentary about that story was important and it apparently um, it's reflected a lot of what speech and language um, pathologists are thinking and feeling right now in light of the CDC changes. And so I'm going to add a little bit more to that because I do think this is important, not if you're ju- not just if you're an SLP, but also if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, if you're a babysitter, and especially if you are a parent. So we'll talk more about that, and then we'll transition from that into the stunning admission by the New York Times. The CDC is not releasing data about hospitalization rates after booster shots. I mean, that's crazy. And then if we have time, which I don't think we will, so if we don't, we'll do this next week, I may want to bust some propaganda about Florida's so-called don't say gay bill. Um, If I don't have time to get to that, go to my Instagram page. I did like a whole graphic on it. Um, Before we get into that, let me just let me just note really quickly how much I love you guys. The proof that I love you is that I drove to the studio today in very cold and wet weather. And you know, I was raised in Texas where cold is like 50 degrees, like 50 degrees, you pull out the parka. Below 50, you don't go outside. Okay, you hardly even look outside because it sends a chill through your spine. You do go outside if it's snowing because that only happens like once a year. But when something like cold weather, especially sleet happens, we just we just don't know how to function anymore and we don't know how to drive. So I am driving here and my windshield, it freezes with the precipitation. And my genius idea was to spray water on my windshield. Now, I don't know if you guys know this, um, but you know this is a profound scientific discovery that water, when it's really cold, freezes. It actually turns into ice on your windshield. And it's not really, it's it's hard to see through ice if you're driving. So I call my producer, Beth, who is Canadian. And I was like, Beth, I can't come into the studio. I'm just going to have to, I'm just going to have to phone it in. And she was like, did you turn on your defroster? And I was like, my de who? What? My de- my defroster? She was like, yeah, it's the, you know, you turn it on and it like basically blows hot air on your windshield. And I was like, that is brilliant. And so I did and it was fine. And I was able to come into the studio and I just had a good laugh that um, that our Canadian friends probably look down um, on us who don't deal with cold weather. And it's like, wow, you guys are weak. And yes, I do. Like you can pat me on the back. We do take refugees on as employees of this show. And so we have taken a Canadian refugee from the tyranny of Justin Trudeau. I don't need your applause. Am I an amazing, compassionate person for that? I mean, I guess so. What can I say? I just have a heart for people who are seeking asylum from the tyranny of Canada. All right. I just wanted I just wanted to tell you guys, I just wanted to make the point that I'm so dedicated to this show that I even endured the cold, wet, rainy, sleety weather just for you. 
All right, let's get into let's get into this first. Before we get into the story, I know I'm going to pause one more time. Let me just tell you about our first sponsor for the day. Might as well go ahead and do that, and that is Birch Gold Group. So Ronald Reagan saw it 40 years ago massive inflation that we haven't seen since until today. In his own words, inflation is as violent as a mugger, as frightening as an armed robber, and as deadly as a hitman. Right now, your retirement accounts are under attack thanks to the inflationary policies of this administration. If you haven't yet called Birch Gold the best people to trust to help you diversify your 401ks and IRAs into gold, then you are missing the boat. Actually, you're treading water without a life vest. Birch Gold has your life vest. Let them help you convert an IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. With thousands of satisfied customers and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can trust Birch Gold to protect your savings. All you have to do is text Allie, that's A-L-L-I-E, to 989-898. I would like to see Joe Biden try to say that. Um, 989-898. Text Allie for a free info kit on gold. Go ahead, do it right now. Text the word Allie to 989-898 for a free info kit on gold. All right. Uh, So as we talked about on Monday, the CDC and the American Academy of Pediatrics updated their milestones for toddlers, and they actually lowered the standards. So rather than two-year-olds being able to identify most of their body parts, this is one example, verbally identifying familiar objects without being provoked or without being asked, just being able to look at a book and point and say, that's a bear, uh, saying four words together in a sentence, that's what they were previously expected to do. Now they're only expected to be able to say two words together by age two, like doggy run or something, Uh, be able to point to familiar objects uh, when asked. So if I said, uh, you know, point at the bear or something, then a two-year-old should be able to point to a familiar object, but not independently necessarily find the bear on their own and say it. And they are now only expected to know two body parts. And they also introduced a 30-month or two-and-a-half-year milestone that was not there previously. That includes being able to say 50 words. And if you don't know previously, being able to say 50 words or less at 24 months so two years old, was considered actually a red flag that needed intervention, according to the American Speech Language Hearing Association. Now, the CDC doesn't even mention how many words a two-year-old, a 24-month-old, is supposed to be able to say. And as we talked about on Monday, it should be more than 50. That's what the standards said previously. That's what Asha is still saying. And just in my experience with my own two-year-old, it's definitely more than 50 words on average by the time a child is two. Um, There's obviously a range there, of course, and every child is an individual that may excel in some areas and be behind in others. But these numbers are in place for a reason. They're in place so that kids can get some extra help when they need it. So the previous standards had actually been in place for decades after a careful study, okay? So this is not something, oh, they change it every few years. They had been in place for a very long time based on data. These standards are not about exclusion or making people feel bad for where they are. I've seen some liberal accounts say that. It's so strange. It's really just the opposite. It is ensuring that kids have the tools as early as possible to ensure that they're good communicators. 
Communication, both speaking and listening, is the building block of learning and understanding. No concept or subject can be properly understood if we don't master language, reading, reading comprehension, the ability to understand, to read, to discern people's emotions through their facial expressions and their tone of voice. And it's not just communication milestones that have changed. They also removed crawling as a milestone altogether. Isn't that strange? So I'll include the link to these milestones on CDC's website in the description. You can take a look. Was it an oversight to exclude crawling? That just seems that just seems really weird. I mean, crawling is an important milestone, again, for a reason. If you have a child or if you've worked with in pediatric physical therapy or if you're just familiar at all with children, you can start to think about why it would be important. And if you have a baby, I have two babies and the nine-month-old, uh, you know, mastered crawling uh, a couple months ago, but you see the evolution of the crawl. That first it's like an army crawl, then it's kind of like a scoot, then it's like I'm going to try to put both of my hands forward together and then like pull my knees at the same time. It actually takes a while for the hands and the knees to move kind of in a walking way. And I was talking to my mom about this this morning and my um my brother, my older brother, who has learning differences, he had to go through physical therapy when he was young to kind of master walking because he wasn't doing like opposite arm, opposite leg movements that are supposed to be um, natural. He actually kind of had to learn that and be trained in that. And what they had to do to help him be able to walk properly when he was little was actually go back to crawling. And so train him how to crawl in a way that puts, you know, the the left left hand forward and the right knee forward and then opposite. For some kids, that's something that they actually need help with. But if crawling is not a milestone at all, then parents aren't going to know to get the intervention and the help that they need. And pediatricians, if they're going by these CDC standards, they're not even going to offer to help that child get intervention. So I really do not understand. I can't even think of like a nefarious motive that would be there to not have crawling be a milestone for infant development anymore. If the CDC and the AAP have a good reason for changing these milestones, if somehow the science that once supported them has been disproven or just like the common sense has has been disproven somehow, we need to know, like we need to understand the reasoning behind that. Otherwise, as I just mentioned, pediatricians and insurance companies will be using this new AAP CDC guidance And I'm just really afraid, and I know a lot of you are because I've gotten a ton of messages from you, that kids who actually need help at two years old because they're only speaking 40 words or um, maybe they're not walking properly and the parents didn't get the intervention that they needed when they weren't crawling properly, that those kind of kids aren't going to get the help that they need. And as I asked on Monday, when are they expected to catch up? Will they always be behind? Uh, the kids who did get help earlier or who didn't have those setbacks in the beginning, whose parents and pediatricians just, a, you know, the the are they going to fall behind the kids whose parents and pediatricians abided by the old CDC guidelines? And here's what the American Academy of Pediatrics and their kind of press release statement had to say about these changes. They said, quote, the revised developmental milestones are written in family friendly language and identify. I don't even really know what that means like. 
or two-year-olds aren't going to be the ones reading this, and identify the behaviors that 75% or more of children can be expected to exhibit at a certain age based on data, developmental resources, and clinician experience. Um, Apparently, previously, their milestones were only based on what 50% of kids could do. Okay, so they looked at a bunch of kids in different age ranges and they said, all right, 75% of kids at this age can do these things. These are the new milestones. Now, that's troubling to me because the previous milestones were also based on, um, you know, they were also based on a metric. They might have been based on 50%, but for decades, they thought that that was sufficient. Um, And I'm sure the AAP and the CDC have been tracking this for a while to make sure or had been tracking this for a while to make sure that year after year, the milestones matched what at least 50% of kids at that age were doing. So we need to be asking, are 75% of kids now reaching lower standards of speech and development that at least half of toddlers and babies uh before them were reaching for a particular reason? Are these truly more realistic, better standards? Or are the majority of kids simply falling behind where we knew they needed to be? Are we just dropping the standards to the lowest common denominator to try to cover up for the fact that development is slowing down because of a variety of reasons. Of course, I think largely because of COVID policy, which we're about to get into, but also because of screens. Are parents not reading out loud enough to their kids? Are they not paying attention enough to their kids? Are they not giving enough FaceTime or... They um, just not helping their kids the the way that they need to. Like we need a better understanding of why these standards are lowering and why apparently 75% of kids aren't meeting the milestones that were in place for decades. So we already know, according to Brown University, that babies born in 2020 or 2021 have a much lower cognitive ability on average than those born in the decade before. So it seems to me that these standards by the CDC are actually adjusting because of that. So let me read you some of this study that was published in December of 2021 and found that there was a 23% fall in children born in 2020 or 2021 of uh, their average, uh, 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 it was a 23% decline of their average cognitive and developmental test results compared to kids born from 2011 to 2019. Leveraging a large ongoing longitudinal study of child neurodevelopment, we examined general childhood cognitive scores in 2020 and 2021 versus the preceding decade, 2011 to 2019. We find that children born during the pandemic have significantly reduced verbal, motor, and overall cognitive performance compared to children born pre-pandemic. Moreover, we find that males and children in lower socioeconomic families have been most affected. Results highlight that even in the absence of direct SARS-CoV-2 infection and COVID-19 illness, the environmental changes associated with COVID-19 pandemic is significantly and negatively affecting infant and child development. Work from home and shelter-in-place orders, for example, along with closed daycares, nurseries, and preschools may have dramatically changed the quantity and quality of parent, caregiver, and teach chi- teacher-child interaction 
and stimulation. Studies in older children and adolescents over the past year have found reduced social interaction, increased media consumption, and reduced physical activity. It is likely these same trends are true for younger children and infants, as well as the closure or reduced capacity of daycares and preschools, and may be associated with impaired motor development, motor coordination, and visual processing, language development, and socio-emotional processing. In addition, masks worn, this is Brown University, masks worn in public settings or in school or daycare settings may impact a range of early developing skills, such as attachment, facial processing, and socio-emotional processing. Unfortunately, we do not have direct parent-reported measures indicative of parent or caregiver-child interaction, early media exposure, or physical activity to investigate the potential causative role of these factors. One aspect also not investigated here is the impact of mask wearing by the study staff during child visits and assessments. The inability of infants to see full facial expressions may have eliminated nonverbal cues, muffled instructions, or otherwise altered the understanding of the test questions and instructions. Young infants and children are developing differently than pre-pandemic and addressing this now while their brain is at its most plastic and responsive is imperative. My goodness, are we ever going to be able to forgive the people that did this? I also want to note that they mentioned that this is worse for people in a lower socioeconomic class. Yeah, that's because the people who had means made sure that their kids were getting in-person instruction. They were either able to go to private school or they did a pod or they were able to work from home and still interact with their kids. But blue collar workers, middle class, working class, lower class, that just wasn't an option for them. And also Uh, The majority of people in the lower socioeconomic class, not all, but the majority live in Democrat districts. Democrat districts had some of the biggest restrictions. Teachers unions have some of the biggest influence over these uh, uh, Democrat districts that are majority minority constituents, uh, lower income constituents. And so that means they saw more virtual learning. They saw more mask mandates. Uh, They saw more stay-at-home orders. So, of course, of course, I mean, I say we as a society should feel guilt about this. I certainly feel sadness about this. I feel shame about this. But I'm going to be honest, I don't feel... I don't feel guilty because I've never advocated for this and you shouldn't either. But for everyone who did advocate for mask wearing of children and mask wearing of caregivers for children after, I'm not talking about at the beginning, you know, we didn't know. We didn't know for the first few months. We really didn't. But after the data was so abundantly clear, when it was so clear that this wasn't just two weeks or even several months to slow the spread, that this was indefinite, that we have been shown so much data that cloth masks, that mask mandates really don't work, that this isn't a virus that's dangerous for 99.999% of children. It's really hard to find it in my heart, and I know that I have to, to forgive the people who have caused children to suffer this much. The teachers unions who have pushed for virtual learning and school closures, even as they went on vacations themselves, who have pushed for mask mandates and vaccine mandates. It's just, it's insanity. And I just have a lot of resentment and a lot of bitterness towards the people that have hurt our children the way that they have. And I'm working through it. I'm sure you are too. We'll have to work through it together. So, as I said, It actually seems like the CDC and the AAP not wanting to admit they are part of the reason for the very impediments put in front of kids like mask wearing, virtual learning, lockdowns 
are simply lowering the bar so we don't ask why these kids are falling behind. And eventually, people won't even remember that these standards were changed. It'll just go down the memory hole in five to 10 years when people have forgotten or when you have a new round of parents, you know, people in a couple years who are just or just this year who are becoming parents for the first time, they're not going to know that the milestones have changed. And so people, for the most part, aren't going to notice that kids are falling behind. Um, That's just going to create a bigger gap. It's going to create a bigger gap of success and outcome for kids. We talked about on Monday how obvious it is that masks would inhibit a child's communication abilities. Adults read lips to understand what's being said, and kids, especially those with learning differences, absolutely have to do have to have to do that. Have to read lips to both understand words and to learn how to pronounce the words and to learn emotions uh, through facial expressions. Without that, not only are kids uh, missing out on a vital part of communication and development, the discombobulation that comes with not being able to understand what your caretaker or toddler or or toddler friend is saying and being able being unable to fully discern their emotions is anxiety inducing. So I have no doubt that because of masking, we are seeing and will continue to see social anxiety and severe communication disorders, some of which will probably be diagnosed as autism, but are actually products of us robbing our kids of normal development. Now, the American Speech Language Hearing Association released a statement raising concerns about these changes, basically saying that the changes are inconsistent with ASH's findings and it's important for any changes to milestones to be evidence-based. ASHA is a very left-wing organization. You can go on their Instagram and see all kinds of silliness about gender diversity and equity and COVID restrictions. Um, and in fact, stunningly, they published a post on Instagram in August 2021 that stated that there is no evidence, they said, that use of face masks prevents or delays speech and language development. Insane. Listen to what they said. Babies and young children study faces intently. So the concern about solid masks, uh, masks covering the face is understandable. Yes. And then they go on to say, however, there are no known studies that, u- that use of a face mask negatively impacts a child's speech and language development. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to give you my reaction to that ridiculousness in just one second. Let me tell you about our second sponsor for the day, and that is Hunter Douglas. Who does not love to live well? Don't you love being comfortable in your own home and just looking around and saying, I love how this looks. I love how this feels. Hunter Douglas helps you do that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. They diffuse harsh sunlight, cast a beautiful glow across your room. Uh, You are able to enjoy the view outside the window while protecting your privacy inside. Also offers superior insulation, warmer in the winter, cooler in the summer. It lowers utility bills. Um, And also you can schedule, you can schedule the shades to go up and down throughout the day so that you can decide how much light you want to come in morning, afternoon, evening, which is really awesome. It's just one less thing to think about. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash Allie today for your free style get smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash Allie for your free design guide. HunterDouglas.com slash Allie. 
Okay, so that ridiculous contradictory statement by uh, ASHA, I don't know if people say ASHA, I just decided that I was going to do that, um, by the ASHA, it's absurd. Like, this is what passes for science these days. And it's such a rhetorical trick that has been used so much over the past two years. There are no studies that show that X does something. All right. Well, that doesn't prove that X does not do something. Are there studies to show that it does not? So if you say, hey, we know that studying faces is important for babies and kids. If you know that, and then you say, well, there are no studies showing the harms of masking, then doesn't that just, doesn't that just put a couple little pieces together in your mind? Doesn't that raise a little red flag in your brain that maybe, just maybe, if there were legitimate studies that they would show that masks are harmful? Oh, it's really important for babies to be able to study faces to see how, you know, mouths move. That's really important for kids. If we don't think that covering up your mouth will have a negative effect. That doesn't even make logical sense. You don't have to be a scientist to understand that. And you'll remember that several months ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics did the same thing. They basically said, you know what? This, there's no evidence. There's no evidence that it shows this. And then they took off of their website a study from several years ago that said that it's so important for babies to be around smiling adults, to get lots of FaceTime throughout the day. They actually took that off their website. And we're supposed to trust them? Like, shouldn't this organization, the ASHA, be looking into this? Like, shouldn't they be conducting the studies? As far as I know, they haven't gone back on that ridiculous statement. And I mean, we don't need any investigation. We don't actually need any studies. This isn't rocket science, like I said. We've messed kids up, a whole generation of kids, possibly irreversibly because of our paranoia and our insistence that we just do something, no matter how illogical or harmful our doing something has often been. Masks, especially cloth masks, don't stop the spread of the virus. We've cited the plethora of data on that more than a dozen times on this show. I'll link some of that. I mean, poor children, are they set back forever? What will our country look like when these kids grow up who have been so neglected and mistreated in this way during their most formative years? Not to mention the teens who have spiraled into depression and have watched their friends commit suicide at an unprecedented rate in the last two years. You don't get childhood back. It happens once. And their childhoods, their adolescence, their teen years have been stolen from them forever. And all for what? The mask mandates don't work. According to Johns Hopkins, the lockdowns had no positive effect whatsoever. This is according to the Washington Times. Lockdowns in U.S. and Europe had little or no impact in reducing deaths from COVID-19, according to a new analysis by researchers at Johns Hopkins University. So we ruined people's lives. For what? For what? They had to close down their small business of 30 years for what? We drove people into unemployment-driven and isolation-driven, destitution-driven depression and suicide because of the lockdowns for what exactly? And there's too many people that don't want to admit that they were wrong, that they were dead wrong, actually. That's really hard to admit. I understand it. And so they're just doubling down on it. History will show. History will show. We'll make sure of it. The vaccines, like we don't even have time to fully get started on that. But we already know the data is clear, has been for a while, at least a few months, that they don't stop infection or transmission. 
Uh, they were being forced on people, are being forced on people who have lost their livelihoods over it. Even our servicemen and women, even people with natural immunity, which we've known for a long time is stronger than the vaccine immunity. And actually, it, was, it recently came out that that whole claim that, oh, well, having natural immunity and vaccine immunity is even better. That was never actually true. That was never actually proven. It was just uh, a theory. But we were told by our government and our corporations that that didn't count, that the natural immunity didn't count. It's illogical. It's unscientific. We knew young people didn't really need it, especially kids, yet it's still being pushed. Some kids can't even go on their college campus to get in-person instruction without a booster shot. And what do we know about how effective the booster shot is uh, uh, against hospitalization and severe illness? Well, we know that booster, the booster for the elderly, the data does look good on mitigating the severity and keeping them out of the hospital, but not for young people. That's according to the New York Times. And the New York Times also published an article this week saying that the CDC is actually trying to hide data about booster shots and hospitalizations, especially for young people, not because the data isn't there because they don't have it, but because they're afraid of the politics of it. They're afraid of the PR of it. And they're afraid that people having access to the truth about the data is not going to push them to behave in the way that the CDC wants. So this is according to the New York Times. The CDC isn't publishing large portions of the COVID data it collects. Two full years into the pandemic, according to the New York Times, the agency leading the country's response to the public health emergency has published only a tiny fraction of the data it has collected. Several people familiar with the data said the performance of vaccines and boosters, particularly for younger adults, is among the most glaring omissions in data the CDC has made public. Last year, the agency repeatedly came under fire for not tracking so-called breakthrough infections in vaccinated Americans and focusing only on individuals who became ill enough to be hospitalized or die. The agency presented that information as risk comparisons with unvaccinated adults rather than provide timely snapshots of hospitalized patients stratified by age, sex, race, and vaccination status. But the CDC has been routinely collecting information since the COVID vaccines were first rolled out last year according to a federal official familiar with the effort. The agency has been reluctant to make those figures public, the official said, because they might be misrepresented as the vaccines being ineffective. Now, why would that be? Uh, Miss Nordland, who is a spokeswoman for the CDC, confirmed that as one of the reasons, according to the New York Times. Another reason, she said, is that the data only represents 10% of the population of the United States. But, this journalist notes, the CDC has relied on the same level of sampling to track influenza for years. So that's not a very good excuse. Concern, according to NYT, about the misinterpretation of hospitalization data broken down by vaccination status is not unique to the CDC. On Thursday, public health officials in Scotland said they would stop releasing data on COVID hospitalizations and deaths by vaccination status because of fears that the figures would be misrepresented by anti-vaccine groups. Let's hang on here. Misrepresented or represented correctly? I mean, if the data shows what the CDC and these public health bureaucracies have been saying that they show, that the vaccines are highly effective, then why would they be scared of releasing that data? 
What do we always say? If you have to cover up or misconstrue the truth in order to make your point, you're on the wrong side. Uh, we had to rely on Israeli data because to uh, decide whether or not boosters are effective. And I think, honestly, a lot of the, even Israeli data was ignored because, again, these college campuses are trying to push through mandatory boosters for their students. And there's no data proving that that's necessary. Like, we had to rely on foreign data because our own public health organization is not giving us the truth. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics has repeatedly asked the CDC for an estimate on, um, again, according to the New York Times, on the contagiousness of a person infected with the coronavirus five days after symptoms beginning. But this doctor interview, Dr. Moldonado, um, couldn't get the answer. And she finally did get the answer from an article in the New York Times in December. And so she said they've known this. The CDC has known this for over a year and they haven't told us. I mean, you can't find out anything from them. So the CDC has known for over a year that it actually should be a five-day quarantine instead of a 10-day quarantine. Again, how many kids missed school? How many parents had to stay home from work? Like how much fear and how much of an economic impact and a social impact and emotional impact has this had on people that the CDC has been covering up the truth about so much? That's why there is mistrust. I mean, what happens if, God forbid, as... As uh, Bill Gates has been saying several times now publicly, there is another one of these. How are we going to, and say it actually is way more deadly. What are we going to do? How are we going to trust anything? Like you want to talk about the epidemic of misinformation. People go to alternative sources because they know that they cannot trust the official experts today. That's a problem. That's a problem. I want us to be able to trust the CDC. I want us to be able to trust the politicians. Like, I want to be able to take their guidance and say, okay, they are basing these policies and they are basing their recommendations based on this clear data. It's right there. They've given it all to us. But even the New York Times is saying that the CDC has covered stuff up because they're afraid that the truth hurts their policy directives, probably because they know that the Democratic Party wants to force vaccines in a lot of cases. And really, they are, just as they've been working, they worked with the teachers unions uh, about their recommendations for in-person versus virtual learning. They're also deferring to Democratic governors and leaders when it comes to the policies that they're recommending. I guarantee you that's part of the reason why these mask mandates are still in place, why two-year-olds are still forced to wear masks, because I don't know, for some reason, some just crazy politicians want to keep that in place. It's it's really sad. It's a really sad, sad state of affairs, public health in the United States, but you deserve to know the truth. So I'm just trying to give you as much as I possibly can in the hopes that in the hopes that you'll take this information, you'll take it again into your communities and do what you will with it. Do what you will with it. Um, all right, last sponsor for the day, and then we'll head on out. And that is a new sponsor. I'm super excited about it. That is Crowd Health. So you guys know medical insurance, trying to get coverage for your medical costs can be really difficult. It can be complicated and it's super expensive. And if you're uninsured, like there's just so much stress, there's so much anxiety and 
like I said, cost that comes with that. That is why Crowd Health exists. It's not health insurance, and that's exactly why it works. With insurance, you pay you pay huge premiums for high deductibles, which means on top of the thousands you pay to keep your plan, you end up paying thousands more before insurance kicks in a cent. One in six claims are denied by healthcare.gov plans. No wonder so many people choose to take their chances without insurance. Crowd Health gives you a new way to pay for healthcare. No doctor networks, no huge premiums or high deductibles and no surprises. You pay one low monthly total to fund your account and get access to the Crowd Health community, less than $200 a month for most people. 100% of your monthly contribution directly funds and reduces the healthcare cost of the community. You'll pay the first $500 of of a health event, and then the rest gets submitted to the Crowd Health community members for funding. And unlike insurance, you're not limited by doctor networks when looking for care. It succeeds by keeping its members happy, not by driving up the price. And right now, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. That's almost 50% off the normal price and a lot less than a high deductible healthcare plan. Go to joincrowdhealth.com, use promo code Allie at sign up. Joincrowdhealth.com, promo code Allie. Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for health care. Term and conditions may apply. Go to joincrowdhealth.com, promo code Allie. All right. So like I said, tomorrow we will be talking about Russia and Ukraine. What the heck is actually going on there and why should we care? If you love this podcast, please leave a five-star review. Subscribe on YouTube as well. And I will see you guys back here tomorrow.